Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. You know what's funny? I've never thought about it until just now, but I'm trying to think of all these Bible passages that, that praise men for going to work. And that and it gives all these instructions for how men are supposed to go to work. And I can't think of any. All the Bible passages I can think of have to do with how men are supposed to treat their wives and their kids and their friends at church. Like I'm I'm sitting here going, because clearly the Bible teaches that men are supposed to be the, you know, we're supposed to have this one thing over here that we do, and that's all that God cares about. Whereas women are supposed to care about the home. It seems to me like the primary place that men are supposed to be concerned about in the Bible is the home. <laughs> That's a good point. And so just, I just, I've never thought about it before, but I can't, I'd have to really dig to see, are there any passages that talk about employment Yeah. from that perspective? Mm-hmm. I mean, they use employ, God, Jesus used employment as a parable for numerous things, but it still seems like Jesus's and the scriptures as a whole, the Holy Spirit's and main priority for men is, Hey, how are you taking care of your wife and how are you taking care of your kids? And how are you taking care of your community? Yeah. So, and we have to be warned, minimal. Actually, we dad, husbands and dads in particular are given a warning. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. Right. Right. Um, and then don't exasperate your kids. Right, like we exactly. specifically have to be given a warning that we're the ones that could. And I do think that goes back to even the fall because the very first application of of the effects are going to be that God mentions are for Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And I think sometimes we think that word desire is a good desire, but it's actually the the next chapter when it taught, when God's warning Cain about where his heart is going, he actually says this sin desires to have you, but you must master it or, or don't let it overtake you. And so it's one of the effects of the, of the fall, the battle of the sexes, is that now you've got this issue where we can't just have this harmonious relationship the way God originally intended. So I think that's always a big factor to keep in mind, too. It's because mm-hmm. of the fall that now men are going to either abuse their role or abdicate their role and not lead lovingly and like a servant leadership the way we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And then women are going to have they're going to have to, you know, resist that because it's a wrong. It's not the way that, that originally was designed, which again, I think is why Jesus goes back to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the beginning. Can can I ask another bigger one? Cause I'm, I'm curious about this too. And this may be two podcasts. I mean, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> is it? So I, when I looked online about whether the Bible was sexist and the thoughts on that, I, I was, I was reminded that my brain doesn't always go to the same place that the internet goes. <laughs> um, and so the question was, I mean, the, that's the, probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, probably. The entire main, one of the main websites I found their entire conversation was based on the fact that God is a he. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought about that as an expression of sexism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to get y'all's thoughts on the idea of God being expressed in the, in the he versus she and what that even means. But I mean that, I don't know. But if you study the character of God and how he's described, even by Jesus himself, their maternal quality, like he's described with maternal qualities also. Like there are things that we would stereotype maybe as feminine, but 
you know, like a, a mother hen or, you know, like all of those Im- like imagery is also assigned to God, right. not just stereotypical. Like, even though he's described as male, not limited to male stereotypes. Does that make right, sense? Right. And Chris, thoughts? Well, I think it's what, what Bryn just said is we so often have, I think a lot of people have wrong ideas of a man anyway. So it's like, oh, see, there you go. You're just <laughs> right. deciding you're a man and you're going to get to tell us what to do. But I think that it's what you mentioned before, Chris, that does does God have the right to describe himself the way he wants to? <laughs> does he get to list his own pronouns, in other words? Right. And if, if he does, <laughs> then great. But also, I when I think of God, I don't think God is just a bigger man, like some male in the universe. It's, right. He's choosing to relate to me in words that I can relate to, that mm-hmm. it's more masculine. But like Brent said, there's also feminine um, or neutral um, words that are used there as well. But um, yeah, that's always like, I, I, had, I had to tell somebody in this conversation one time, God, God being referred to as a he is not about whether he wears boxers or briefs. Mm-hmm. It's not about his genetic makeup. It's not about his plumbing. It's not about it's like, that's just a silly way of thinking about it. Right. I actually had heard someone years ago referencing that, you know, that's men are created in God's image because, you know, because uh, God is a he and we're he's yeah. and therefore we must be in God's image. And I was like, wow, that, First of all, that passage specifically says the opposite of that. Yeah. Like you've, you've <laughs> apparently forgot your copy of the Bible somewhere. But um, but no, our, our physical image has nothing to do with being created in God's image. And and on top of that, this isn't a question of God's underwear yeah. choices. That's that's just a very mm-hmm. silly... Yeah. Um, I was looking at, <clears throat> like the one, the one that jumps to me is that you were referencing, uh, Bryn, the idea of God being uh, maternal as well as paternal... Um, Deuteronomy 32 actually says, verse 18, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing more maternal than giving birth. And so again, I, I don't I don't know what to do with that. Like, why should it be offensive that God has reveals himself in scripture as he? Is that the bias of the writers, of the authors? Is it... Anyway, just I was just curious about that too because yeah. apparently some people find that very offensive. Yeah. Well, and also, sorry, Colson, were you? Gonna- well, I was gonna, I was just gonna say something because what what we are saying is that the Bible is not uh, sexist or oppressive to women. We're not saying that if you have had an experience at a church where somebody mm-hmm. has like where the church right. has been oppressive to women. <laughs> yes. There is a chance. And honestly, I would say they used bad hermeneutics there you yeah. go. to then mm. use that to affirm what oh my they believed yes. about. So I'm just, I'm just trying to think about maybe some women who have mm-hmm. undergone some trauma or some sort of oppression right. within their church context. And that is not reflective of what the Bible says. That yeah. is reflective of the bad hermeneutics. Can, can you imagine if we had to in any way try to defend Christians aren't sexist, pastors aren't sexist, churches right. aren't sexist? Like, yeah, Gosh. no, some of them are. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe a lot of them are. In the past, mm-hmm. maybe the majority of them were. And you can certainly find examples now that's, that absolutely still are. That's an excellent point, mm-hmm. Colson. Thank you. Yeah. Like, we don't want to undermine the fact that when if someone says, well, I was at church and that church was sexist or the way they taught scripture was sexist. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's start by acknowledging. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Yeah. And, and that's frustrating and, and can be infuriating. 
there is a version of understanding Scripture that can still feel sexist. Yeah. I, I grant that, too, and that's part of why we're talking about it. But but that's a great point. No one is claiming, nope, you didn't experience sexism in church. Right. Um, you didn't experience sexism from a pastor or a leader or a or, or whatever. Right. Um, gosh, my daughter... Okay, I got to share this with you guys, because this will fit perfectly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my daughter was at a Christian ministry event... And they had a guy come in and speak. I'm I'm so hesitant for this for, I mean, just the, you guys just won't believe this. Um, I think I can find it very quickly. Oh, oh, look at that. Right to it. Okay. So Ecclesiastes 7. So one, book of Ecclesiastes, let's take a moment. Let's practice our good hermeneutics, right? What, yeah. what form of literature are we talking about? What genre of literature are we talking about in Ecclesiastes? Poetry. Poetry. Good. At best an effort at wisdom literature, right? Now, it's not wisdom literature because it is written by a person who is not very wise at this stage in their life. Mm. If it is by Solomon, which is kind of traditionally accepted, he is actually running an experiment. I tested everything. I said no to my heart and nothing, and I'm letting you know how that turned out. Mm. And it's a brutal, depressing, hard book to read. So um, the guys who uh, we play poker with together, we're doing Ecclesiastes for an hour, and then we play poker the rest of the night. And the other night, here's what we read. So listen to this. So this is Ecclesiastes 7. Um, and I have found something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Now, one. That language is the traditional language of the Middle East from that era, which was that 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 women are not moral agents. Mm. Women cause the moral downfall of men who are moral free agents. Interesting. <clears throat> that was the idea was that, well, the, the, what are, what are, what is the role of women when it comes to fidelity um, to create adultery? Like that was the, that's why women in wow. the Middle East sometimes, in some religions today still have to cover up from head right. to toe yeah. is that because that keeps men from sinning mm. um, versus if a woman's walking around, you know, looking hot, that's going to cause men to sin. And that's, that's the woman's, problem. Yeah. That's not a biblical teaching, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, women are responsible for their appearance of themselves, and men are responsible for lusting in the Bible, which, mm -hmm. by the way, again, that's a almost a feminist stance for the Bible to take in its era. Sorry, but keep, let's, 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 let's <laughs> jump ahead. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher. You guys are going to love this. Um, While adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. So what is he looking for? One man among a thousand I found. He's looking for righteous people, he mm. claims. One man among a thousand I found, <clears throat> but a woman among those I have not found. In other words, women, he, Solomon found no righteous women, not one. He found one man in a thousand and no women. And I kid you not, in, within the last year, there was a Bible teacher who taught to my daughter, this is evidence that women really can't be righteous like men. <laughs> what? Oh my! Bad hermeneutics. Oh my gosh! We need a button for <laughs> yeah. that. Bad, bad hermeneutics. Yeah, alert. We need a big alarm sound, like because men are clearly from the verse before <laughs> way superior because and there was from, one in a thousand. You know, all the evidence around us <laughs> right. in culture, exactly, exactly. Or, or even from the very beginning that that yes, Eve Eve ate this fruit first, whatever that means. But Adam is the one who is held responsible for it. Like that's right. a big deal that Adam is the one who brought the sin into the race of mankind because he was the one who was told not to eat it. It's a, it's a powerful, this is, a, and one, so it's Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes. These are not statements of truth. At yes. best, they're statements of wisdom. 
in Ecclesiastes, most of them are statements of anti-wisdom. Yeah. And, and so you don't take it that way. And then, even with all that being said, this is just proof that Solomon was surrounding himself with unrighteous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, I was laughing, thinking he had a thousand women. He had right? 700 wives, 700 concubines. <laughs> Literally so a thousand. When he, did he say, I, he just pulled all his wives? <laughs> I don't know. What <laughs> so it reminded me of, you know, there was a, a, a liberal commentator way back in the time of Reagan, who when Reagan won in a huge landslide, who they ca- it caught her off guard and she's on the news and she goes, well, I don't know a single person who voted for Reagan. Okay, that doesn't say anything about who voted for Reagan. That says something about who she surrounds herself with, right? Mm-hmm. And so she'd created an echo chamber for herself. All this passage teaches us, I mean, Nathan the prophet was alive. Samuel the priest was alive. Mm-hmm. Solomon was not surrounding himself with righteous people. And then when he looked around like, well, nope, no unrighteous people, no righteous mm-hmm. people. Like, yeah, that says something about you, Solomon, not yeah. about the people. But uh, the whole point to say, is it possible you've experienced sexism mm. in the church or in teaching, in, even in the year 2022? Well, my daughter did mm-hmm. within the last few months. Yeah. Oh and so it happens all the time, and it is heartbreaking, and mm-hmm. and for, I think, people trying to understand Scripture correctly, even infuriating. What I can tell we're not going to get to today are the New Testament passages that actually are difficult on this topic. Well, but can I say let's one more here. thing? Please before, go. Yeah. yeah. And even to carry that further, I think it is also helpful to admit, like, the men that you have experienced in your life as a woman does like when you hear that God is described in these terms, that, that affects it. I mean, the therapist in the room, I'm sure can speak to this even more, but like, I think it's helpful to know that even though it shouldn't affect our view of God, it does because the experience that we've had with men or pastors or fathers, when we hear God is a father or any of these things, it does translate um, from the experience that we have and can negatively affect our view of God being described in these ways, even if it doesn't accurately describe God. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's and I, right. I think that's helpful to know because, um, you know, that's, that's a legitimate feeling. So. Well, I might've shared this here. I can't remember. You guys can help me if I did, but the first time I heard someone scoff at John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And, and her response was like, oh, yeah, that's just like something God would do. And mm-hmm. we're like, wait, wait, what? And she was viewing it as because of her dad, who would throw anybody else under the bus to protect himself mm-hmm. as God sending his son instead of him having to go. Right. And so her, so what we were portraying as this glorious news of like, isn't that amazing that he would give his only son for her, because of her experience, was seen as a selfish, you know, self-preserving act uh, on God's part. And we're like, how did you come to that conclusion? But mm-hmm. it's because of of her experience. And so that right. explains it. Instead wow. of like the view that I think a lot of those with healthier views of parents would understand, it would be harder for them to send their child than go themselves, right. you know, oh, like in yeah. a healthy anyway. Yeah. But, Pretty powerful. Man. Um, okay, so we've we talked to- about proscriptive versus descriptive. We've talked about the natu- that the fact there's nothing natural about equality mm-hmm. in Genesis 1.27. We've talked about uh, God as Father, mm-hmm. which I think is, is you know, there are God as He. So um, Old Testament so, so, and views. Some, are there any other of the Old Testament laws or commands? Because uh, that that was one of the other ones is that they're weird to us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they were beautiful for the people living in them. Well, 
I mean, you, Chris, you've talked before. I think you've written on your blog about uh, Leviticus 15 and the laws about women. Uh-huh. Like the unclean laws? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the unclean. And I think that's helpful just to understand like. Do you want me to use that example? Do that example one? Yeah. I think it's Real a good quickly. example. Okay, yeah. so. Because I think the laws about like, pun- like the punishment for rape and all of that is a l- is complex. Yeah, but, it is. But I think just as an overview of, of God putting in laws to protect women, I think Leviticus is a great yeah. example. This is a, um, but I don't know. What do you think? And it would be good at, you know, it might be fun too to even talk about, because I, I personally think if I was a woman, I would prefer to live under the Levitical laws about rape than about our current laws about rape, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, would you rather have, you know, a, a, a difficult a police force has a difficult time arresting rapists. A legal system has a very difficult time finding them guilty. And even when they do find them guilty, they punish them for a ridiculously short amount of time on average. I don't know what the average is now, but I remember at one point in my research, it was it was like one year or two years max for a convicted rapist. And it's hard to convict a rapist, especially in today's legal system. Yeah. Versus in Levitical times, which was, you know, if a woman said, I was raped, um, there was a simple, like, three questions that you asked of the woman. Mm-hmm. And if she answered them according to the law, like, were you in the city or outside of the city? If you're outside of the city, did you cry out? If you were inside of the city, did you cry out? And then it's like, and that's pretty much done at that point. And then you're, and then what happens is the whole community goes and finds the guy and kills him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the there's one verse about you. He must marry the woman, but I think it's more, she has the ability to, um, to turn down the marriage and it's more of like holding the man responsible right for like financially taking because of his actions yeah that'd be good we had to look that up to see if there's yeah, a because interesting i feel like there's two pieces there's two different pieces that we'd need to look up because yeah. i don't remember if it was because i feel like if it's non-consensual mm-hmm. it's considered rape and therefore can be killed if the question is is it consensual that he could be forced to marry her or yeah, she he has to provide to. for her. we can come back to that one because that's an interesting one with the way it plays out but but, but yeah. that but what we're talking about right now is in regards to the being serium, ceremonial yeah let's talk about that one yeah, okay so the ceremonial and clean this is an example of the cleanliness laws um and we have a hard time with it because we hear unclean and we think oh that was some kind of judgmental bad thing right but but all all humans went through regular periods of uncleanness and it was just a ceremonial status. Right. And we talked about that during right. the, the Levitical law headings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... It mean it's not immoral. It's just unclean. There's right. That's exactly right. To make. Yeah. Um, and, and it was so, men and women, depending on the situation. That's exactly yeah. right. Here's one of the ones, though, that as I've taught about it over the years, that, that women have... And the first time I taught about it, I didn't even understand it until I had a woman explain that. Oh! And shout out this answer. <laughs> um, but, but so, for example, during menstruation, during a woman's... Uh, menstrual cycle. So blood was considered life, and therefore someone who's losing blood is is ceremonially unclean automatically. No matter why you're losing blood, you're ceremonially unclean. And so for a woman when she was menstruating was was ceremonially unclean, which typically meant for seven days from the time she started bleeding, she couldn't handle money, she couldn't prepare food, um, she couldn't kind of hang around in the house because she could make things unclean by touching them or whatever, right? And so for seven days out of every month, women during their childbearing years could not handle kids. They could not engage in sex. They could not handle money. They couldn't prepare food. 
And so they would have a, usually typically have a little mini village outside of the village. Um, and people would go, the women would go live out there for those seven days. And, and so women would end up, you know, of all childbearing years. So it was a big deal for a woman to, a young woman to get her first cycle so that then she could go hang out in the, what some kind of called the red tent. There's some books written about this, but the idea of a red tent, that they had this tent, that that's what this was for. And, and you go, wow, that sounds harsh. Like she's not allowed to be in society for seven days. Like, no. So for seven days every month, she has to hang around with the other women in her culture who somewhere between a half and a quarter, depending on where their cycles aligned, yeah. um, are now hanging out together who are also of childbearing years. And when I taught that one time, I had a woman in the audience go like, vacation! <laughs> yeah, that sounds vacation. great. Like, every, that, that for, and in woman's entire childbearing years, she gets seven days out Once of every month. month that's essentially... Hey, Dad, grandparents, got to step it up because Mom's not going to be here for seven days. Yeah, yeah and and where is she going to be? Hanging out with the other women of the community who are older than her, who have insights to teach things to teach her, or younger women who she can teach, and her friends they get to hang out with. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's like you you think, oh, that sounds terrible. Gosh, how sexist! Women are unclean because they have their period. They don't have any choices about that. Well, or God had set up a system that gave women this seven days of rest every single month mm-hmm. during the years they needed the most. In a culture that wouldn't naturally have given woman, women Absolutely reprieve not. of any kind. That's yeah. right. Wow. So it's it's really kind of amazing. Uh, and that's an example. Now, not all of them. I'm not pretending like this is an easy answer. Right. But very often when you when you go in and try to figure out how these laws applied within their culture, they're actually just amazing gifts from God. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I'd love to encourage that. Yeah. I think that was helpful for me just to understand a lot of the Old Testament and the New Testament, which we um, may not have time for this episode, but um, it's just understanding that a lot of the things that God was putting into place was in opposition to culture. So the Old Testament yes. laws and the way that Jesus treated women. And so even if it doesn't make sense for our current culture, it was still in opposition and in favor of women and elevating them and protecting them. And um, and some of that does take digging in because we don't understand the culture. But once we do, it's it's a beautiful thing to understand the provision God's giving to women. Yep. That's cool. That's really well, we, cool. I think we need another episode on this because we what we haven't talked about yet is... Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus and Paul's teachings. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I, think, I think, though, for the most part, we can we can find good understanding and explanation that that shows how probably a lot of the Old Testament teaching was as especially compared to its time, mm-hmm. yeah, was not sexist and was revolutionary and were big changes um, and did treat women as equals um, much more so than any other culture that they could have chosen from. yeah mm-hmm. but but we do need to talk about what I think are some difficult passages about women's role in church, mm-hmm. or maybe we need to spend a little more time on this word submission. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, I think it'd be good. I think that'll be really good. I do want to take a quick minute because while we are recording this, um, it is a, a, a very uh, volatile is not the right word. It's a, yeah. it's a monumental time in our mm-hmm. uh, culture in the United States because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so we just, we wanted to mention that. We'll probably talk about that further down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris actually preached a sermon on that this last Sunday. 
And we're going to talk June 26th. That's right. When June the 26th. Is. And so we'll, we'll link that in the show notes. Great. Um, is there anything you want to say against, I'm, I know that's like hitting on something that's like super deep that yeah, we're is. not spending a lot of time on, but yeah, I probably, wanted to mention it still. Probably the simplest way is to realize that when the Bible is engaging with the conversation of women's rights, so to speak, and the way it would overlap with abortion, the Bible is going to be mostly speaking in terms of protecting the unborn woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is the, what is the responsibility of protect of a culture to protect an unborn woman or a woman who is alive? Um, the, the Bible is going to really not even have a category for what about women who want to mm. end their child's life yeah. um, before it's born. Um, and, and though the new, te- though we did talk about in the sermon, I talked about the early church writings, which interpret Scripture as teaching that abor- that abortion is forbidden. All, all the early church writings interpret it very clearly um, that exposure, meaning leaving a born child out to die, or aborting a child was un- un- immoral biblically. Um, and so the, the, clearly they see that in there, and I do too, but when you're talking about what is what is the role of protecting a woman when it comes to abortion, the Bible's language is mostly probably going to be about protecting the unborn woman or the woman from assault or abuse or something like yeah. that, then it is going to be about a woman having a right to end, to terminate a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because in the Jewish world, now in the Greek and Roman world, they did terminate pregnancies and they did leave children to die on a hillside. Um, but in the Jewish world, it just, I'm sure it happened, but it would be so countercultural because most of the time what women wanted more than anything else was to have a baby. Right. And so the thought of intentionally ending that, because the Jewish world very much so thought saw a child as a blessing for the community and the family every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And part of that, what we can learn from is the Jewish tendency to surround a family that would have been in trouble mm-hmm. and take care of them. Um, but that's a separate question, a conversation. Yeah. But yeah, we'll yeah. come back to that. We'll soon. come back yeah. to that. Well, guys, thank you so much for um, for starting off this conversation very strong about is scripture immoral by today's standards? Uh, I'm looking forward to continuing to unpack this. Um, But yeah, if you have any questions, holler at us, send us an email, uh, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people to find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.